Sarah Lamberg is an Australian filmmaker working in a mostly male-dominated film industry. Her work has been compared to famous auteurs like Roman Polanski and David Lynch. She has a new film called The Westermark Effect and she's here today to talk about it. Sarah, welcome to 15 Minutes of Fame. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, it's so good to see you here. You know, I have seen you for years on social media and I have followed your journey all that time. And I don't know when we became friends on social media, but you know, I, I've been watching you and you are someone to watch, I think. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very flattering. And uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully you're getting something out of the work. Of course, look, of course, and we're going to talk about your work yeah. because you have a new film which is called The Westermark Effect and, and I want to get on to that later on towards the end of the podcast. But what I'd like to do now is this, think of this as kind of a, a therapy session. Oh, love it. We're, we're, going, we're going to take little bits of your life out yep. and we're going to just discuss it and, and hopefully have a little bit of fun yep. and maybe um, maybe help some, some young filmmakers out there who uh, are thinking about how do I make an independent film? Right. Because I think you're the expert on doing that. Oh, thank you. No, you are. You are. <laughs> so look, let's let's first of all start with the fact that you're from Helsinki. Yep. So you're Finnish, is that right? That's right. But I'm also Australian, so I'm very lucky to have two nationalities. So you're so you're Finnish Australian. Yep. The question I have for you is how does a girl from Helsinki end up all the way down here in Melbourne, Australia? <laughs> well, uh, it wasn't quite as direct as that. I had a few years in between in London um, and in England. Uh, so I studied in in UK in um, in Devon actually. Wow. So I did. Um, I initially went there as an exchange student from my university in Helsinki, and it was supposed to be just the one year, one of those really fun exchange programs where you get to just sample a different university. But I actually just really enjoyed my university in UK much more than I enjoyed my studies in Helsinki. So I asked them if I could stay and graduate from there instead. So I ended up getting. Um, an English degree instead. I never went back to finish my Finnish degree, actually. Okay. Um, so, uh, and then I worked in England for another year or so after that. And then I came to Australia. And this was back 2010. And you came to Australia at, at a, to, not, not as a filmmaker, but as a, uh, an art student. Is that correct? Well, I, was, I had already graduated. I was definitely more of an actor only at that point. And, and I guess it was just a process of becoming hungrier and more ambitious in the work that then led me to directing and writing and producing work. You know, when you think of... when I, Today when I was thinking about female directors, there aren't that many. And, and your work's been compared... Um, the people are comparing you to people like David Lynch and Roman Polanski because there's a psychosexual element to the work I've seen of yours... What female directors, writers inspire you as a female filmmaker? Um, that question for me is a little bit complex because personally I don't care much about gender and I hope we would already get past this gender conversation. I, I wish we were already ahead in time when it didn't have to be an issue anymore 
and I could just look at practitioners and, and there'd be equally as many female practitioners as there were non-binary practitioners as there were male practitioners and and this gender thing wouldn't be such an issue anymore. But I know at this stage it still is and we absolutely do need to have these conversations. And to be honest, I reckon there's probably lots of female filmmakers whose work I don't know about because they continuously don't get the same press or the same opportunities as their male counterparts. So when I think about some of my favorite films, a lot of male directors' names pop into head, unfortunately, and I wonder if it is about. Or fortunately, it could it can be fortunately. Yeah, look, if it was about that, that you know, I just didn't hear about the female filmmakers work but one of my favorite Australian films for example uh, was um, written and produced by Claire Harris and that's a film called Zealous. I I was just lucky that I happened to go to the right Q&A session of that film and I met Claire Harris there who produced and wrote the film and uh, yeah otherwise I may have missed out on it completely. So did she she inspired you is that what you're saying Claire Harris? Um inspiration for me comes from many different places this was uh, we actually released our films around the same time so when my film Innuendo came out um, her film Zealous also came out on the same year uh, 2017 uh, so I wouldn't have said that it's inspiration in a way that you know this is that's what I want to be doing not not in that kind of a way but definitely as a another independent practitioner out there getting work made um, or or doing it all yourself sometimes yeah well, that, well that's that's what I mm. find really fascinating about you because I, I direct and I know the effort that goes mm. into directing and holding together a whole team of people but you don't just direct you're writing, you're producing, you're directing. And this is the thing that really appeals to me about you is you're also acting. Now that to me sounds like, you know, you're putting your head on the chopping block because every one of those things I've just described is extremely difficult to do well. How do you do it? What's the secret? (laughs) I mean, some of those things I do out of necessity. I don't think I love producing particularly. I don't even always like writing that much. I do love acting and that was always the passion. That was always the sort of what kept me coming back. And I've really learned to love directing now. And more of it I do, the more of it I love. And it's sort of become more about just creating the story, just telling the story in any way that I can assist that story. And in many ways, working this way is more organic. When I've written it and I'm directing it, I don't have to have conversations about whether I'm allowed to do something as a director, because sometimes in that kind of hierarchy if there's many different people taking up those positions then you almost can't do what you want with the work without negotiating with someone whereas I only just have myself to worry about (laughs) (laughs) I think that's very smart of you to do that but so so I do I have really started to like the fact that this way I can tell the stories that I want to tell but it definitely initially came out of necessity of just getting the work made and just because I realized with my first feature film Innuendo the screenplay won an award in in Beverly Hills um, and that opened doors to me to producers and I was able to have conversations with many Melbourne producers but the time that it would have taken for any 
one of them to actually consider it as a project of theirs would have been enormous and I imagine I would still be waiting today whereas mm. now I actually have the film and I'm into my third and fourth films already. Do so- you, know, you know I saw Innuendo um, during lockdown um, so I watched it and, and I think it was on at about 10 o'clock at night and you know as a, as a mad sort of cult film lover it, it really did appeal to me but there was something about it I thought that was quite masculine you know it's um, sometimes a confronting story and there's something masculine in the way it was presented and I'm not surprised that you say you don't when you mention you don't see gender in that in that way I think the fil- your films reflect that as well are you aware of that has anyone ever said that to you before <laughs> I think I'm I'm quite aware of it because of all of these gender questions and and conversations that I I am aware we have to have because the issue is still very very much there. For myself personally, I guess I I think maybe I'm just lucky that I wasn't brought up in a way that was particularly feminine or or that I wasn't put into some kind of a format that I had to, you know, perform in a certain way because I was born to having boobs and a vagina that hasn't ever defined me and like I guess I was very lucky to have a mother that didn't didn't certainly didn't seem to care about gender stuff that much and or family around me that didn't seem to care much about gender so that I was I was just allowed to be who I was and definitely around me in the society there would have been you know gender stereotypes but I was I remember being able to question them from quite early on and and to sort of just not fall into that I have to do something in in one way because this was the body that I was born into so like for me personally it's it's sort of like it's felt like a like a non-issue for quite a long time but then of course there's the the layers of society and layers of privilege that comes with various different things being male having white skin and they're just they're very prevalent and but they're also sometimes quite insidious in in a way that they just happen and and they're sometimes very hard to pinpoint where what was the original question i feel like i'm rambling <laughs> look you know what i was thinking as, as oh yeah in end of being masculine film yeah i don't know i think a lot of things come into it like i definitely am not straight like i'm i'm more queer than anything else sexuality wise again i i can be attracted to any gender i'm, I'm not just attracted to females or males i could be attracted to someone who's transgender even like i just wow. see individuals and and that's what attracts me your characters are quite interesting because of that and i remember when i was watching innuendo i was quite hypnotized by it but here's a question for you about innuendo <laughs> is it an australian film or is it a european film because for me it's it's set in this land that was kind of Aussie European, which I felt worked for it. I'm not saying that as a negative thing. Were you aware that that was what you were doing when you were filming it? Not by any kind of a measured way, no. Um, But I think because I'm the writer, director, producer, I can't escape myself in the process. So the films sort of become an extension of myself. And of course, that's exactly who I am. I was brought up in Europe uh, and then I've been here now for 13 years. And and something that a few people said about Innuendo was that it it looked like I had observed the Australian and Melbourneian characters and sort of really brought them to life. Um, And and that was for me, that was really lovely feedback because that's how I, I, I sort of see myself as a as an observer. 
And in company, I'm not always the extroverted one who's talking all the time. I'm actually doing much more listening mm-hmm. um, and observing of people. And I think that probably comes across in the work as well. I know you've done other things. I was watching television the other day and you popped up in, I think it was the Underbelly Files. And because I'd follow you, followed you so much on social media and, and I felt like I knew a little bit about you anyway, I, I saw you and immediately recognised you. And And uh, you did um, another film called Cult Girls, which I've only seen the trailer on. Uh, It looked a little bit like the Wicker Man meets a vampire film. Would you like to see yourself as a scream queen? Do you know what I mean by a scream queen? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I mean, I'd like to see myself as anything as someone sees me in. And and that sounds like a very uh, flattering title. Um, I'll take it. Thank you. (laughs) Do you know, there was a a famous actress in Hammer Horror Films called Ingrid Pitt. And uh, she reminds me a little of you. She has that slight accent. Mm -hmm. And and she she made a fabulous vampire. She was a fantastic scream queen. When I was kind of surfing Instagram and, you, you know, all, all the socials about you, you know, that, that really came up. You're sort of like an Aussie scream queen. And I really I really like that about you. I think it's it, it gives you a place immediately in cinema. Um, so I think it's a really good thing. That's that's what I'm trying. That's what I'm trying to say with that. Can I be screen queen rather than scream queen? Because then that opens up all lots of different it certainly opportunities. Does. And because you do so many roles already, I'm not even going to argue with you because you're or the boss. We could go screen king. We could go screen. Yeah, well, why not? Why not? We can, we, can, we can do it all here. Now, something I wanted to um, talk to you about mm. was you've got a background also in short films. You've done a, done a handful of short films. You, I know a lot of people get caught up in, in um, going doing short film after short film after short film. Um, and you skipped, you skipped it, I think, after about five short films and did a feature film. Did you learn a lot from short films? Or do you think people should get out of making short films as quickly as possible and get on to a feature? Um, not at all. I feel like they are excellent uh, training ground, if if nothing else. I mean, they can also be a very good way of getting your, your name out there as, as a filmmaker. There are some short films that have made major difference in, in the makers' careers. And, and just as, an, as a piece of art, short films can be really good it's just that for me personally I just became more and more ambitious more and more hungry I just wanted to do more and I guess you can tell a very different kind of a story in 90 or 100 minutes than you can in in five minutes Mm. so it's it's really just about the story and whether it fits in the feature or whether it fits in a short film and and they're yeah they're just such a different format and now I'm totally in love with feature now it's it's just yeah just the being able to tell such a sort of wholesome story as you can in in a feature that's just I've fallen in love with the format but there's definitely nothing wrong with shorts or and or I think I would be probably a little bit suspicious if I heard about someone that just went straight into making a feature without making any shorts first how long um from the start of thinking of uh innuendo or the westmark effect how long from the start to finish in years was that to get to get both those films up so i i would say that 
um, innuendo was probably about five years in, in that process, which still comes two years short of an average of a feature film. Apparently it's about seven years. Wow. <laughs> uh, I've had relationships that have been seven years. <laughs> Some 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 a tad longer. Yeah, um, nice. <laughs> um, and Westermark effect. Um, it was a little bit more streamlined a process because I sort of made it on the back of Innuendo in the way that a lot of the crew and even some of the cast were the same people that made Innuendo with me. There was a little bit of a momentum happening which I used, and because I was working with so many of the same people as I did with Innuendo, some of our processes were a lot faster. And just as a story also, it needed slightly less shooting time. So in many ways, it was sort of production-wise a bit simpler. Um, how many weeks did you shoot for? So so let's give you an example of how many shooting days, although it was spread across months because independent film, um, difficult to do it all in one block. But you can do, you know, weekend here, week there, weekend here, week there. So Innuendo was altogether 41 shooting days, whereas Westermark Effect was 21. So we went to half of the, half of the shooting days. Uh, but yeah, that's spread across several months. And then, you know, you add post-production and pre-production and, and that becomes quite a few years. Westermark Effect, in terms of production, I think was about three years. But then, of course, because of the pandemic, I couldn't release it when I was supposed to release it. So then the process from idea to releasing the film became longer again. And Westmark Effect is a little bit controversial because it's about a woman who falls in love with her son. She doesn't realise, of course, it's... I think she gave her son away. Is that correct? She knows. Um, she goes looking for him. She just wants to see that he's okay, which is quite common. Quite quite often people, when they give someone away for an adoption or if they are adopted themselves, at some point they start feeling these feelings of missing, like something's lacking in their life, and they go out for looking for that person for that reason. So in my film, the premise is that she knows from the beginning. So she, knew, she knows from the moment she sees him oh okay. she she knows she goes out seeking for him because she wants to see what his life is like whether he's okay what happened but she's she's not going out seeking for love no. from him no. no but she falls in love with him yeah. once she finds him yeah and they both mutually fall in love with each other um and it's based on a real phenomena that i read about before i wrote this film i saw an article about it and i became really curious because it wasn't something i'd never heard about before so this apparently happens quite often in reunions where people actually fall in love with each other but they don't know that that's possible and then it becomes this really scary thing for everyone involved because it's so highly illegal and it feels morally wrong and like there's so much complexity there for individuals and for everyone around them that for me it just lends itself to a, to a film so perfectly. We were talking about gender earlier on which I wasn't planning to go down <laughs> but but you brought it up earlier on could you have made the same film and swapped the gender as a as, made the gender a girl would that have changed the outcome of the film or did that cross your mind at all because it's a young boy her son's a young boy 
Um, did you think about that at all in, in when you sat down to write it? I uh, just would like to point out it's not a young boy, so it's a man in his 20s. 20, yeah. Yeah, so they're both very much adults, uh, yeah. um, <laughs> consensual adults, and <laughs> that was definitely something that was very important to me. Of course, I, I considered all sorts of options for these um, for the, for the characters, but for some reason, this particular combination just in, interested me. And I guess because I'm, you know, I'm I'm writing it, so I, I make the choices. Um, and and this was the one that um, spoke most to me. Do you know in in rehearsals um, with actors, mm-hmm. when I get somebody else's script, I will often say to the actors, "Who's the author in this story?" In the Westermark effect, where are you in that story? Who are you in that story? That's probably probably a very difficult question for me to answer because so much of my work is so intuitive and and almost like on purpose so because I, I wouldn't want to I, I wouldn't want to interject any sort of very heavy-handed meanings to the work I want them to be quite gentle and quite sensitive and quite intuitive so so it's almost like I give myself that permission to be that organic and that intuitive about it so then answering that particular question feels impossible because it's through this lens of intuition I've got a quote of yours here okay <laughs> Do you like this? It gets tricky now. You you said, um, I think it was at the Melbourne Melbourne Maid Festival, I think it was. I hope you either love or you hate my film. Explain that to me. <laughs> Explain. I mean, I, I kind of understand that. You want a reaction of some kind. But if someone came over to you and they say, I really hated your film or loved it, would you say thank you or would you try and sway them in any way? I don't think that's my job. I think my job is just to tell a story and it's everyone's um, freedom to feel however they feel about that story. And I guess where I'm going with the I hope you either love it or hate it is that I, I just hope that it will touch you in some way that will be meaningful. And I would, I don't know, I, I feel like it would be very disappointing to make a film that was nice, that would just leave people cold and they could be they could be watching it one day and then forget about it the next day like that for me would be disappointing whereas I feel like if people have and so far I've been in this position where people have told me oh I want to see it again I have people seeing my films three or four times because they just want to sort of understand them a little bit better or they want to see oh what happened there and that for me is just an amazing feedback as a filmmaker that people actually want to go back or or people have told me that they've had dreams about my films and again that's like oh wow I've been able to get into someone's subconscious so deep that they they are even dreaming about it and for me that's sort of like that's where art meets the recipient is where where that subconscious exchange happens and therefore I just feel like if I can evoke such strong feelings that people will really really like it or love it or they will actually feel a bit off put or or they hate it I, I think for me personally that's a, a much more satisfying place as a practitioner rather than making something that everyone sort of thought was okay. Yeah look that may, that makes sense to me um, on social media you did have a few health issues which which you beautifully put down on social media and I really do admire and I read and I liked every one of them <laughs> and I, I really do admire you for be, being able to do that. The question I want to ask you because you know you're, you're well and you're much brighter a person than I was expecting (laughs) 
from the films. I've got to say that. I love I love your your warm energy. I can feel it from here. What I'm wondering is, did having a health problem and getting over it, did it change your creativity in any way whatsoever? I have been disfortunate in my life to have been faced with health issues from quite early on um, and in many ways my own health issue felt quite insignificant as a comparison so from since I was a teenager I experienced my mum degenerating with early onset dementia and suffering in that in that illness for almost two decades before she was finally able to die so I think that that's been that's been the sort of life defining illness in my life more so than my own cancer and like if I only get cancer and I don't get early onset dementia I consider myself extremely lucky wow. <laughs> so yeah this I, I guess there was that experience which which has made me sort of think less of a, of a cancer because cancer is such a curable illness and um, I, I sort of expected to return at any point and I guess I do live my life in a sort of a way where I don't feel like there's a lot of time to waste. But I feel like that comes more from mum's illness than it did from my own. As I said, you, you use social media in, in, um, in, in, you know, to publicize what you've done, uh, which is an extraordinary feat. And I, and I really got to say that you're, you're playing so many roles in putting a film together. But you also used it in this personal way to heal yourself. And, and it was really um, empowering and beautiful to read your stories. I really appreciated them. And, and I really appreciate you coming today and having this chat with me and being part of, part of this podcast. Now, you've got a screening of your controversial Westmark Effect, which is coming up. Just tell us when it's on. Yeah, I'm actually in the first time in my life, I'm in an extremely fortunate position where I have two cinemas in different states in Australia that have scheduled it on at the same time. So I have it on Thursday the 16th of March at the Audience Star in Adelaide and then I have it on Wednesday the 22nd of March at the Lido in Melbourne. So yeah, those are both screenings that hopefully people will will attend because getting just independent films seen and getting a film like mine, you know, you, you called it controversial subject matter some other people have said it's um, it's sort of risky so it's it's very difficult to get distribution for it so I really encourage people to go to the screenings if they want to see the film because I can't promise when they will have the next opportunity to see it and you know um, I think you've got to make the film you want to make I know there are um, there are thousands of people out there probably millions of people who love controversial films they want to walk away from the film and they want to talk about it afterwards I do think they are the kind of films you make and I really appreciate it thank you for coming on today Sarah Lambert this has been your 15 minutes of fame thank you <laughs>